0: Welcome to Trial Lawyer Review. My name is Jason Lazarus, your host. This podcast is for and about trial lawyers. We'll tell the stories of trial lawyers who go to battle every day in courtrooms throughout the United States for injury victims. And this will be about their stories, about their practices. Hello everyone, I'm Jason Lazarus, your host for Trial Lawyer Review. Thank you for tuning in today for another episode. Trial Law Review is brought to you by Synergy Settlement Services. In full disclosure, I'm not a professional podcaster. My day job is CEO of Synergy. Synergy allows trial lawyers to focus on what they do best by handling the difficult issues at settlement like healthcare lien resolution, Medicare secondary secondary payer compliance, government benefit preservation, and complex settlement planning. Joining me on Trial Lawyer Review today is Daniel Kramer, a super lawyer's rising star who specializes in representing families and individuals involved in catastrophic personal injury and wrongful death matters, and he practices with the firm he founded, Kramer Trial Lawyers in Los Angeles. And I'm going to go through his bio. It's pretty significant, so I'm going to read a little bit of it to you guys. Uh, He is a trial lawyer uh, that's got an incredible track record. He's obtained numerous jury verdicts as lead counsel, all victories on behalf of his clients. Multiple verdicts have been featured in both the Daily Journal, Verdict Search, The Huffington Post, Fox 11 News. Five verdicts were ranked as the top 50 verdicts in the state of California for 2016, 2017, 2018, and 2019 by topverdict.com. From 2013 to 2020 he's been consistently honored as a top attorney in personal injury and employment law by pasadena magazine which reached out to thousands of lawyers from all over the los angeles and pasadena areas to vote for the most esteemed and highly regarded attorneys in their chosen fields dan was distinguished for his exceptional service in his specialties from 2018 to 2020 He's been selected as a Super Lawyers Rising Star, which recognizes no more than the top 2.5% of attorneys in each state. In 2017 and 2018, he was a finalist for Cala's prestigious Rising Star Award, given to the top plaintiff attorney in Los Angeles under the age of 40. From 2012 to 2017, he was an adjunct professor at Southwestern Law School, where he taught law firm and civil litigation practice at the Graduate legal academic program. He co-founded the Beverly Hills Bar Association's personal injury section, which he currently chairs. And in 2016, uh, he was elected the youngest member of the Southwestern Law School Board of Directors. He currently serves as the president-elect of the Los Angeles Trial Lawyers Charities, an incredible organization that we're going to talk a bit about where he will serve as president uh, or is serving as president. Yeah, I I need
1: to update my bio.
0: Yeah, I guess the bio is a little up. (laughs) He's a little up. Uh, And he was elected as one of the youngest members to the prestigious uh, American Board of Trial Advocates, ABODA, and in 2019 was elected by the entire membership to the LA ABODA Executive Committee. He currently serves on the Board of Governors, of the Consumer Attorneys of California. So a lot of, a lot of uh, stuff that he is uh, involved in, a lot of good fodder for me to ask you some questions about. So welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Jason. Uh, it's great. Um, love your company, by the way. We've been u- using you guys for about a year now, and you have really saved our clients a lot of money and saved us a lot of time.
0: Um, really appreciate it, what you guys do. I'm glad to hear that, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that at the end because I've got to- All right, yeah, hey, I
1: don't want jump the gun here. Yeah.
0: So I, I got to ask you at the outset, because I you know, in doing my research, as I always do when I interview guests, I came across some information about you being a Colorado Buffaloes fan, a Falcons fan, and a Braves fan, and uh, heard you're trying to convince your son to join the bandwagon on those teams. Why? I, I'm well, I know
1: just so, so I can have a partner in my misery, you know I think <laughs> is really what it comes down to. My wife's not quite there; she's really not interested in uh, seeing the tears. Um, you know, my my buffs recently lost in the in the NCAA tournament. I, you're a Seminole fan, right?
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. You guys, I uh, thought we had it, but uh, you know, you guys dominated us. It was sad. I I almost got. I think I my son's uh, just turned. 17 months and he is so close to saying go Buffs. He says go, Buff," and then but it almost says Buffs um, But yeah, man, so I uh, I'm from Atlanta originally um, okay. so diehard Braves fan watch every game Falcons, uh, you know Hawks, but you know Braves are, are my number one and uh, then went to Colorado Boulder for college and have been a diehard, uh, miserable fan ever since, but I think we're turning the corner. I, I really do. We have two good coaches at the helm. Um, I have my, my buffs helmet in the background here, you know, just, uh, I still love them. I still love them.
0: So now did you, did you play uh, sports at the collegiate level?
1: No, no I mean, I, uh, I played high school, I played both uh, high school football and high school college, or sorry, high school football and high school basketball, but, uh, wasn't, wasn't quite quick enough to play in college. Unfortunately, you know, so
0: what made you go to, to, uh, Colorado? Just curious.
1: Uh, you know, I went out there and, uh, saw the campus my parents and I visited. It was beautiful in all aspects. Uh, the spring game had me going on, just love the big college atmosphere, the flat irons there, great academic institution. And, uh, sort of just fell in love. Honestly, um, it was just a great school, great college atmosphere.
0: So a question for you about your your background as an athlete, uh, you know, prior to college. I'm, I'm curious because for me, um, you yeah, know, I, I grew up a pretty uh, serious athlete. I was a, a cyclist, and um, I found that the discipline from that sport has really served me well in my endeavors um, after after I realized that I was not gonna be uh, Greg Lamond or uh, Lance Armstrong and uh, decided to go to college and ultimately law school. So I'm curious about you know, if your athletics background from growing up you think has helped you kind of get you to where you are today? Oh,
1: I, a thousand percent. I tell my wife this all the time. We have a debate because my, my, my son, you can tell he's starting to get really into sports and um, whether he's gonna play football or not. And I tell her all the time, you know, football was one of the biggest, I mean, one of the biggest reasons for me achieving any goals, really. Um, obviously, I, I mean, my parents, number one, but, you know, football really taught me that you have to meet your assignments, hit every assignment on the field, because it's, a, you know, it's 11 players on either offense or defense at a given time, and everyone is responsible for a certain task. The guard has to, you know, ISO down, or the, the receiver has to block, or the, the tight end has to run a perfect pattern but you're all working in concert together, like a beautiful dance. And I think having everyone have their goals and achieve those little goals means a bigger picture goal that you all achieve together, which is winning the game. And I think, uh, 100% that just playing sports taught me so much of teamwork of how to rely on people and then how to also hold yourself accountable to others, uh, to all achieve a common goal. And, uh, you know, it's it, huge, obviously, because you know I don't want to let myself down. I don't want to let my teammates down, my family, my friends. You know, and and then in the law firm environment, it, it it works just like that. You know, I mean, I rely on my teammates, and then I have their back no matter what if things go south. Like uh, you know, with my with my staff and my team, I I don't really I, I, we're all family, right? We're all team together, and so you know, we pick each other up. And I think those are all lessons that I learned just from playing sports.
0: Incredibly well said, and I I use that every day with our team here at Synergy, just those ideas of, of that team mentality. You know, I always talk about team synergy. It's, it's that that aspect of sports I think is, is just so applicable in the workplace. And uh, I love how you, you just stated that. So um, tell me a little bit about your law firm and about your practice.
1: Yeah. So um So I'm a trial lawyer uh, through and through. Um, We do not take on a ton of cases because the goal is to try. I mean, I take on a case being prepared to try it and take it all away. Um, I started out as a defense attorney, um, worked for a big insurance defense firm uh, in Los Angeles, tried my first case 11 months out of law school um, and just fell in love. Fell in love with being in the courtroom, being in front of a jury, representing a client, and then launched my former firm, Kramer Holcomb Sheik, in 2012. And then uh, right before COVID hit, I'd been planning on branching out, all amicable with my former partners. We're all great friends, but starting just a plaintiff's only law firm because Kramer Holcomb Sheik had kind of been, my partners had been doing entertainment, business litigation, and I just really wanted to laser focus on just plaintiff trial work. And uh, so, right, uh, COVID hits and, you know, I have to move forward with launching this firm. So I launched Kramer Trial Lawyers, APC. Uh, we are, like I said, it, like the name says, it's we, we are trial lawyers. We will take any case to court, to trial, um, whether it's a slip and fall to a catastrophic injury, car crash case, wrongful death cases. Um, or plaintiff employment cases that uh, you know people come to us and we want to be the firm that if some if an, another attorney is in a bind and the insurance company's not settling, the corporation's not settling and they need it to go to trial, they call us in. We want to be their Mariano Rivera, essentially, they call us in to come close a deal and bring the case home for a verdict. Um, so you know we we have our you know we have a variety of ways that we handle cases either from the initiate the initial, client, just it just something horrible thing just happened to a client. They come to us, we work it all the way up or people call us literally days before trial starts. And we, we have a machine that's ready to run and ready to go. And, you know, I, my, my team's fantastic. I love them all to death. And, uh, you know, that's essentially us in a nutshell. We are trial lawyers through and through.
0: And I know, having been there enough that uh, SoCal is a pretty large area in terms of geography, where are you typically trying your, your cases? Are you just in LA or are you kind of throughout that area? Yeah.
1: Um, initially it was just LA, but we've expanded. I mean, we are getting calls. I mean, we're going to be trying to case in, uh, north of the Bay area later this year. Uh, we're getting called in Fresno, um, Sacramento lot in orange County. Um, and especially, you know, obviously Los Angeles, you know, the majority of our cases are in Los Angeles, but we are telling, I mean, anyone and everyone, we will go throughout the state and try any case, um, to be honest, you know, because a jury is a jury and we are very confident in our ability to try any case
0: anywhere. That's great for our listeners to know. Uh, So going back a little bit, I I think that in doing my research, I heard that some, perhaps some family members were what inspired you to, to become a an attorney in the first place. I'm curious about what led you to law school and what led you ultimately to want to be a trial lawyer in particular.
1: Well, so my goal was to be a professional athlete, not to be a cyclist like Greg LeMond, but you know, to be a Chipper Jones, um, Hank, you know, to be a professional baseball player, professional football player. I learned quickly. I could not hit a curveball, so that definitely wasn't happening. And I was a slow white dude. Um, you know, so (laughs) neither Those things were happening on the gridiron or on the baseball field So once I started realizing that but I was like I love competition Um, and my grandfather who was a paratrooper in world war two He came from very very humble beginnings in rural north carolina Um town called hamlet, which is a train stop town And did not have anything any money at all never planned on going to college went, you know got world war two hits he signs up right away. He becomes a paratrooper in the 101st Airborne Division. And he would just sit around. We'd sit around the dinner table and he would tell us these so, such animated stories. He was a great storyteller about how, you know, he would be paratrooping in behind enemy lines and, you know, blow up a big uh, satellite that the Nazis were protecting. And just these amazing stories. I mean, he's such a patriot. And, you know, he just uh, I just loved the way he told stories but you know he'd always tell the story about how because of the gi bill he you know when he came back he he did not have any money to go to college and never no one in his family had gone to college um but through the gi bill he was able to go to college and law school at wake forest you know in like four years total i think all of them and you know he just loved being a trial lawyer in durham north carolina so and then here and then so like his his war stories you know would always turn into courtroom stories so it would just be, and again, he would tell them with the same animation, just like you really could feel like you were there. And, you know, he, he did it for all the right reasons. You know, he was an extremely ethical person and and never believed in cutting corners and believed in using the law for the right tool in the right way to help people, help his client and, and, and never doing anything that would harm anyone else. You know, just always do it the right way. Fight hard, but do it the right way. And so he kind of laid that groundwork for me. And, you know, again, once I realized I was not going to go anywhere in sport, I mean, you know, I, I, I was a decent high school player, but it was never going to be anything more than that. But this was the avenue where you could have competition, um, you could fight hard, and, you know, it was just extremely exciting. Uh, so with that, you know, I just kind of always knew from the time I think I was, you know, 10, 11 years old, sitting around the dinner table with my grandfather, uh, and he would tell me those stories. I just knew I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and thank God, I, I I am I'm here.
0: We have a uh, pretty large framed American flag in our main conference room, and uh, one of one of our clients he uh, had developed a charity to help uh, people who lost family members um, in service, and um, the flag actually flew in in combat, and was you know just touched my heart. What what he was doing with you know those that that group of people because you know people that choose to you know go into the military especially you know and I know you know some some didn't have a choice back then but still the bravery of going into combat uh, it's incredible to to hear those stories of people who came back from that and were incredibly successful after enduring what was probably pretty hellish I. I I'm sure that there were some things he saw in that, that um that probably were pretty tough, but it's it's great to hear that ultimately it helped serve uh you know his family well in providing that role model for you and, and your future success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I have his flag. it's off the camera, but I have his uh his flag, his uh, triangle flag right here right behind me. Have it at all times. I actually keep a letter, uh he wrote me a letter where I asked who his favorite baseball players are, and you know, because I was expecting him to say, you know, this is in the in the nineties, all these big, you know big famous baseball players, but he listed all of his different kids. He had four kids, and just talked about how his son Clint was a great second baseman, and just all these reasons. And I keep that letter actually. It was really, it was really you know, it's a it's a great letter. It's on his legal letterhead. Every time I try a case, I put it in my breast pocket. Every single trial, I just keep it there. It's pretty it's pretty torn up now, but uh, I can't go to trial without it. Keep him That's close.
0: Cool. That's- That's a cool little tidbit. Thanks for sharing that. So I'm, I'm wondering, is there an important or influential case that you've handled either to you or you think to the, to the larger system and why so?
1: Yeah. I mean, so, you know, I was a defense attorney, uh, had tried a bunch of cases, got a lot of great, I was very fortunate that my bosses gave me a lot of great experience early on, on the defense side. Um, but coming over to the plaintiff's side, my first, you know, real big trial was in 2016. Um, it was a case against LAX. Um, so the city of Los Angeles owns LAX. And uh, basically all these big firms, some of the big, big firms out here passed on the case. I mean, it was a slip and fall. So basically what we had is we had a photograph <laughs> Of just coffee in the women 's restroom, so it was just a, just a picture of just a Starbucks cup on the ground, coffee spilled everywhere. My client had been flying in from Missouri, um, real small town, Waverly, Missouri, uh, had flown in just to visit her family, walked in the restroom, didn't see the coffee slips, lands on lands on lands on her back essentially, and uh, injures her spine, has a lot of trouble walking, goes home pain does not go away eventually has to have a back surgery some some complications from that has to have another surgery um but ultimately she just you know she just had pain the rest of her life that was going to be uh in her back so you know that's the case you know a lot of firms are just like okay whatever like it's just it's a tough case against LEX how are you going to prove any liability here we didn't have the the person who spilled the coffee they were nowhere to be found obviously and that's all we had. So I was like, you know what? You know, this is early in our firm. You know, I was uh, just starting to, t- I just finished trial lawyers college, had done Trojan horse, had done a lot of these great um, seminars to learn, you know, how to really try a good plaintiff's case. And I was like, you know, let's just take this one. The city wasn't offering anything. But once we started digging, we started to find that uh, the city just had real no, no. So so basically what, what it was is that the tile that they, that they uh, put into the restrooms, it, it's supposed to be slip-resistant, meaning if water gets on it, your foot's just going to stop. Um, it, that's how it should be. That's how it is at gyms or around pools. And here we had experts go out and test the tile, and it was, like, extremely slippery. Like, shiny wall tile would be – it was just the total wrong tile to be in a restroom, a place that's going to get wet. So once we found that out, we're like, well, hey, maybe, maybe there's a case here against the city who just did designed a dangerous condition, meaning that they they should have had slip resistant tile, they had slippery tile. And so we started digging there and we just come came to find that, I mean, just the more we dug and dug and took deposition after deposition, that the city just has no checks and balances for safety at all. I mean, in terms of LAX, they didn't have any safety systems in place where to make sure that they're putting the right safe flooring in and anywhere in the airport. And they had lost all of the documents that showed when the construction was or who made the decisions. it was just shocking how careless they were when it came to safety of guests at the airport. Really just, and they didn't care. They didn't even, you know, they didn't, they didn't try to settle. They offered a zero the whole time. Um, so fast forward to trial, we try it in Santa Monica, super, it's, it's usually a very conservative jurisdiction for LA, surprisingly, um, in terms of awarding money. Um, but we had a really smart jury. We had a bunch of CEOs. We had people that work for SpaceX professors. I mean, it's a really high, it's really, you know, highly educated area. So you have highly educated jury. And I just thought they would get the science. They'd understand the science. They'd be upset that LAX cut such corners, despite, the science being on our side, and they just seemed so careless about it. And ultimately, Jerry came back with 100% liability on LAX and gave us $2.2 million for her injuries. And she was a wonderful client, so you know it really changed her life because she she would flip homes and couldn't do that anymore. And she's from a small town and just a really sweet lady, a widow. And uh, you know, I spent a ton of time with her because I try to spend as much time as I can with my clients leading up to trial. And we were just able to expose LAX for what they were and they were just careless and cut a lot of corners and you know actually they they since because of that verdict all the restroom they changed all the restroom flooring so that people would not be falling and you know i think it truly did make a difference made made the plate made the world safer you know or at least the airport safer uh because of this verdict so i mean that's really ultimately why we do what we do but, you know, initially you, you tell people, you know, this is slip and fall in an LAX restroom. You get you get that, you see the photos, you're like, this is no case at all. But, you know, when you keep fighting and, and, and you find like a little string of, you know, and then you pull and you pull and pull, and ultimately you make a case and you take it to trial, you end up changing things. And so it was a, you know, that case obviously, like, you know, changed things for me too.
0: That's an incredible result, one, for that client, but... You know, it's what people don't understand, I think, about trial lawyers and frustrates me sometimes when I hear things that are negative. You know, the, the idea that, you know, we have a profession that's dedicated to making the world a safer place, which is exactly what you know, what you do. It's it's making sure that corporations or government doesn't put, you know, profits ahead of people. And, you know what, what you did changed the safety of that particular airport and that, you know, that's, it's a pretty incredible thing to be able to to do for your profession, not only help that client, but also, as you said, help, help make the world a, a bit of a safer place ultimately.
1: Well, it, it, I mean, that's, that's the whole purpose behind tort law, right? I mean, it really, it really is. If you think like, like it's, it's not to punish, but it is to send a message and to change things. Um, and I true I'm a big believer in the seventh amendment, the right to trial by jury, civil cases. And I, I, I think it it is responsible for so much of the safety regulations we have in this country is not because the legislature is out there, you know, checking off every box to make everything safe. They're not because unfortunately, so much of their funding comes from big corporations who do everything they can to avoid liability. And so, you know, that's why you see so many legislatures throughout the country. Even here in liberal California, we still have a cap on medical malpractice damages of 250,000, which has been the same amount since the 70s because, you know, the, the medical lobby and the doctor lobby, they have set that cap. But it's not just it. It's not justified. You're basically having a few legislatures and a few politicians decide how much a life is worth yeah. based on their cap. And I, I know in Texas, Florida, I mean, a lot like where you are in a lot of places. And we just have to keep fighting that movement because... Our founding fathers made it a, a very strict decision with the Seventh Amendment that these decisions on the value of human life and human loss need to be in the hands of 12 citizens from all across the spectrum, and that's what that's what we have the jury system. It's not up to it shouldn't be up to a single politician or multiple politicians who are bought by an interest a small a, a, you know small interest group it really should be up to juries to decide this. And I truly believe, I mean, I think, I I think that like trial lawyers are the last line of defense for so much. We hold the powerful accountable. Um, whether it's, you know, it's politicians committing crimes or corporations cutting corners and harming people and killing people. Like we are the last line of defense because politicians aren't going to protect us necessarily.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, when I was reading your bio, I, I I saw that in the past you were an adjunct professor. Why was it important to you to be a teacher of soon-to-be lawyers? So
1: I I got so much uh, from other older attorneys who had been practiced for a long time. They 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 would give without asking for anything in return, and they it wasn't like they were giving just to like get cases. Um, and I think you know I want to pay that forward. First of all, first of all. And, um, second off, you know, I think I want to help our, our profession. And I think so much, you know, a lot of times law school helps you, you know, the old saying helps you think like a lawyer, but doesn't help you actually practice law. And I think that's more and more true. And I think thankfully law schools are starting to f- kind of flip that. And they're really, you know, kind of bringing back almost an apprentice model where you're getting real practical skills of what it's like to be a lawyer and, th- and, and you know, be in the courtroom and, you know, depose a witness, handle a judge's vigorous questioning of your motion. So I thought me as a practicing younger attorney who had been in the trenches, who had been through it, you know, I thought, you know, it it was important to to express that to, to students, especially at Southwestern. I mean, that's my law school. I have a lot of pride there and I want to help those students succeed as soon as they get out of law school. So that program was really teaching practical skills in civil litigation so that when they get out. They're not just in the academic philosophical mindset. They have practical skills, so they're they're ready to take a, a, a motion or a deposition.
0: Yeah, that's great because I that you know that is really needed and necessary. I I really appreciate. It. I had um, trial practice in law school and was taught by the Chief Justice of the Florida Supreme Court. You know, I was lucky because I was in the capital, you know, in Tallahassee, where I went to law school, and we had that, but I mean, how, how cool is that to, you know, have the Chief Justice of yeah. the court be your professor for trial practice, but it was great because it was more practical. It was someone that had, you know, sees lawyers in front of him every day, had been a judge for a long time, so, but it's cool that, that you were able to give back in that way to, to your law school.
1: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. It hasn't stopped. I mean, I gotta tell you, uh, you know, uh, you were reading the the top verdicts. I mean, every attorney's gonna have a big hole in twenty twenty. Of you know, yeah. you, no one's got any top verdicts in twenty twenty for sure. So, but what I think, and especially on the plaintiff side, is I know all of my colleagues. We have been spending so much time this past year, truly learning. Like I have not learned. I mean, I, I've learned more in twenty twenty than I ever did in law school than I ever did going to any seminars, because literally, I, I mean, thankf- like, like, thanks to things like TBI Med Legal and Dan Ambrose and case analysis and all these different webinars that people are doing, um, it's constant learning. And so many trial lawyers have stepped up stepped up to the plate and are offering so much knowledge and information and breaking down their trials so that, you know, when we come out of this and we're about to, trials are starting the, I feel like the plaintiff's bar is just going to take off and you're going to see verdicts like we've never seen before because so much time is spent learning. And I, I personally put on a lot of webinars with various groups uh, because, you know, teaching plaintiff lawyers how to do it and, and the skills of the of, of the trade and how it's an art. Um, so important right now. And I, I'm just so thankful because I I've, I've been a student and a teacher this last year. Um, and I'm absolutely loving it. I mean, I can't wait to get back in there, get back in the courtroom, and try some of these new things out.
0: It's a, it's actually a great segue into what I was going to ask you about next, which is your involvement in leadership um, with different trial organizations in the in the state. But that's one of the the real beautiful things that I see about the the plaintiff personal injury bar is a willingness to. Always help out their fellow trial lawyers, whether it's on a listserv or, you know, I, one of the one of the guests on the podcast uh, was Rich Newsom who founded Trial School, which you know is educating lawyers on you know different you know techniques to to improve their trial skills, like Trial Lawyers College and Trojan Horse and all these great groups of lawyers who are sharing their secrets and helping you know, the rest of the practice and elevate it. But I, I'm curious, you know, you, you've been a leader in California. Uh, you're one of the founders, um, as I said, in your um, bio, the Beverly Hills Bar Association PI section. What's driven you in that regard? Why why, why are you involved in, in all of that?
1: Yeah, my, my wife asked me that all the time when I'm like, have five board meetings stacked up. But yeah. i i honestly I, I can't get enough of it I love it I mean I just i absolutely love the the camaraderie of it um I love meeting new people uh interacting with with you know other trial lawyers but then even uh, other lawyers outside of our practice area you know I think uh the more you interact with them um you know they start to understand more of the pi practice which i think is good they understand where we're coming from on things um you know I mean I just I think it like I just love seeing an organization, seeing how we can help take it to the next level. Um, And and a lot of these, especially CAOC, is very involved with the legislature. Um, Over the last month, I've had probably 15 Zoom meetings with different state senators and assembly people trying to get the courts back open. And they're very receptive to it. Uh, They're very receptive to our causes. And I think these organizations really just give us that access so that we can actually, you know, not just we're, we're trying cases, we put our head down there, but we're actually changing the law and changing the way things are done in Sacramento. And I know AJ is doing it in Washington and everyone in the, the, their own state TLAs are, are doing that. But it, I mean, it's, it's so rewarding. I mean, to be able to do that and help our fellow trial lawyers, just make it easier for them from a, from a legislative standpoint, and then, you know, influencing the, the, politicians from a political standpoint to to get the courts open again, which is what we need for our clients. So I, you know, I I love that aspect of it. Just love giving back, love meeting new people. I mean, it's all, it's all kind of the, 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 there's a variety of reasons why I do it, but it's very rewarding.
0: I'm curious, you know, if there's something you could share with listeners about just what your involvement with these different organizations has meant to you and why those organizations are so important. I mean, I think you touched on some of that with the the legislative side of things and making sure that there is a voice, but just curious if there's other things for you that you've had from, say, you know, being a part of a BODA. I know, you know, CAOC and Beverly Hill Bar Association and the PI section.
1: Yeah. I mean, um, I think, you know, Cala, for example, the Consumer Attorneys Association of Los Angeles is the biggest plaintiff, uh, bar in the country, I think. Um, you know, I started out. Th- this is how I learned. I mean, it's a, it's a great educational uh, organization. Um, it's where I really learned how to try a plaintiff's case. Uh, I did their, you know, Cala PTA, which is a is essentially for younger lawyers. You you go through a whole two months of with all the top trial lawyers in Los Angeles, and you learn. And so, I you know, I was taught so much. So I want to you know now give back and teach the younger attorneys. You know that. That's for for Cala, for example. Um, for Abota, it's a great way to you know the the whole thing about Abota is professional courtesies and and you know working with each other. So it's a great way for us to to for plaintiffs lawyers and defense lawyers to come together and judges as well. And and you know we just we we work. It's all about ethics and all about how to work together professionally um courteously and so so with that i mean that it that organization does that caoc already talked about you know you deal with the legislature so you do you really change the laws and change how our clients are actually affected beverly hills bar is you're dealing with attorneys from all different practice areas so it's good to be exposed to family lawyers for you know not just to get business but to learn what different practice areas are doing and and to be to, to be able to have your hand on the pulse there Um, and you know, right now, number one in my heart is LATLC. I'm sure we'll be talking more about that, but, uh, you know, I, there, there's always a charity component to most of these organizations. Um, so I'm a big believer in getting involved. I think you, you're not only helping the profession, you're helping your clients. Um, and you know, it's a win-win all around because you meet new attorneys who then may, you, you can have a good referral relationship with. So to me, there's you, you, I mean, we put in so much. I put in so many hours to the, to give back to these organizations. Really, not expecting anything in return because that's not why I do it. But it does. I mean, it, at the end of the day, it always does. It does pay off. But uh, you know, if you if you're going into it for the right reasons, it will. Yeah. I've I don't know. I hope it. that answers your question.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I've seen it firsthand. You know, I've, I've, as a lawyer, I'm involved with the Florida Justice Association, a member of the AJ and I participate on their listservs trying to help lawyers when they're dealing with some of the issues that are in my area of, of expertise. So I think, you know, the, the idea is that, you know, most plaintiff practices are, you know, average two to three lawyers. You're not, you know, in mega firms, generally speaking. There are a few of them out there, but, you know, so basically the rest of the you know, country, if it's AAJ or your state, uh, TLA becomes, you know, your, your, your law partners, you know, they're helping you with some of the issues that perhaps you've not dealt with, or they've got something that they can help you with. And that's what I think is so cool to see about this particular area of the profession is that people are always willing to do that. And, you know, giving back is, is really a big component, which, um, I'm just a a really big believer in so um but we'll, we'll talk about LATLC next. I'm curious though um cuz I've heard a lot of things about Spence's trial or College what your experience was and what what you, what made you go in the first place. Man,
1: you you may get me in some trouble, but you know, I'll uh uh I'll give you brutal honesty. I mean, so initially um you know, I was at first I saw it and I was like, this is great. I mean, this is exactly what it's trial lawyers college. I want to be a great trial lawyer and I heard so many great people who graduated from it. You know, my initial reaction when I went was it's a little, you know, it obviously it was heavy on the, the non-lawyer side of the, of the psychodrama. And I mean, I don't know how much you know about it, but, you know, it's uh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it was it was different. But I'll be honest, I mean, I a lot of the techniques that, that I i it, it was it was outside of my comfort zone, let me just say that. It wasn't something that I'd ever dealt with or been a part of, but that's a good thing. I, it's good to get out of your comfort zone. It's I mean, that's the whole point. I mean, you're in you're in you're outside of Du Bois, Wyoming, no internet, no cell phone, sharing a room and you know, a very small uh, barn. And so it was the idea is to get out of your comfort zone. And I'm extremely thankful for that because it really did help me connect with my clients better and tell a better story of my clients. Um, so yeah, look, initially I was like, "What? what is all this psychodrama stuff? I did not understand it, did not expect it. But you know, at the end of the day, it, it definitely made me a better trial lawyer, certainly. Um, I've taken so many of the skills I learned from there to really help connect with my clients, putting the client's story number one in any case, Um, and I've met some, met some great people, some amazing trial lawyers, some lifelong friends through it. Um, but with anything, you know, you kind of, you take the good stuff out of it and you apply it to your practice. Other stuff may not work for you or may not apply to you. And it's just like a book, right? I mean, you, you, you take a few good nuggets from any kind of, uh, you know, leadership book or nonfiction book that you're reading to improve yourself and the rest may be a little, maybe not right for you, but you know, you gain something from it. And I think all these conferences I go to or, you know, long-term seminars I go to, I try to take a little bit from and make it work for me, you know.
0: I'm curious, that leads me to a question that I've, I've talked to most of the guests that have appeared on the podcast about, which is this idea of empathy because with anybody that joins our team, I always emphasize the importance of our mission, who we serve, why it's so important. You know, the people that we serve have been through something truly, you know, horrific usually or life altering. And I I talk about the accident I was involved in and give them that perspective just because it just shows how easily you know, one moment you're you're fine, and the next moment, you know, you're you're in the ICU. And um, you know, I'm curious for you because you, you mentioned this in when you were just talking about the trial lawyer college. Is how do you connect empathetically with what your client's been through, and then adequately convey that to the jury so the jury understands it and can feel it?
1: Yeah, that's one of the hardest things, you know, to learn how to do as a trial lawyer. I, absolutely. I mean, I, it's, it, and it's, uh, so what I try to do is you really try to spend as much time as you can with a client. Like I'm a big believer in meeting with them in both work environments, like in your conference room, but also, you know, outside of work environments, either at their home, your home, going out to dinner together just doing anything together that's, you know, that people, you know, you would do with a friend. And I think, but, but, but I think the key is, is to just to really understand, you know, what is your client's, you know, motivation to do anything. And, 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 you you know, you really have to go back to almost the start, you know, I I always like to go back to the client's childhood, really understand what, what was their childhood like? What was it like? You know, what was their relationship with their parents like? Their siblings? What kind of role did they have to take on? Uh, you know, either as a son or a daughter. Um, and then, and then you build up. You work from there. And I, I always start. You know, you start at the beginning to really get to know the person. What was high school like? What was college like? Uh, and then, you know, their job life, their marriage life. What's their like life like as a parent or not having kids? Um, because I think that. In those, in finding out that background, you find out stories that, that have affected them because of the crash, you know, like, uh, for example, I had a, I had a big, um, case where my client fell in a trench. He was an electrician. He had a very checkered past, you know, was in a gang, tatted up, was big into drugs and all that. So, you know, you hear that and as plaintiff attorneys were like, oh, this is, he's not going to come across well in front of a jury at all, at all. And, but, but by spending so much time with him, you know, I started finding these stories about how his dad went to prison when he was young, he basically had to be the dad from the time he was, you know, eight years old of his like four younger siblings, his mom was kind of in and out too. So he took on that responsibility that was very hard for him and, and, you know, he had to earn money. So that's why he sold drugs. And then, you know, he got into drugs, but he stopped doing that in his twenties And he was doing odd jobs, but really found a love for being an electrician. And so, you know, fast forward, he's an electrician. He's walking through a construction site. There's an open trench that the general contractor and the subcontractor didn't cover or barricade. He falls in, fractures his ribs, ruptures his spleen. But he's like out of work for almost a year because of that. But he had just become a union electrician. And so that really set him back to a very bad place, made him depressed, like him and his wife almost got a divorce over it. So you're finding like all these, all these things that were, you know, a repercussion of the injury of, you know, him and his wife, you know, going to a really dark place, almost getting divorced, all this stuff and him trying to come out of it and getting back to being an electrician again. But he had to almost go back to the start. He'd worked so hard to become a union electrician, but he had to almost go back to the start and all those stories about about what how this, this fall truly set him back so far and took him to a dark place and reminded him of that dark place he used to be in in his you know, late teens, early 20s, just thinking that he was going to go back there. So developing that story, like if I just read his depot because the case was referred to us by an attorney who didn't try cases and you know they don't go into that in the depot, I didn't know any of that. And you know if I just sat there and read stacks of depots after depots or just reviewed medical records – put him up on the stand and then you just kind of go matter of fact. And then the defense crosses the hell out of him for, you know, that really these dark places he was going because of the drugs or whatever, whatever they're going to try to come up with. But if I had not spent the time of getting to know this human being and what made this human being, what he was because of his past and, and why it was so important that that he didn't want to go back there. That's why he worked so hard to get back to being an electrician. And then when he's an electrician now and back to work, he works through the pain because he, as a kid, you know, had to take on that role of fighting through everything to protect his younger siblings. Now he's fighting through the pain to be an electrician. So when the defense comes in and says, Oh, look, he's totally fine. He's climbing ladders. He's crawling. He doesn't deserve any future care or any future non-economic damages for future pain and suffering. It's like, well, this dude is working his ass off because he will never go back to that dark place. He was before and this injury is not going to define him. Jurors want to root for a hero, and so that's the story we turned it into. But it was because, I, I mean, we spent I don't know fifty, sixty hours together just over the three weeks leading up to jur to trial. And I love him like a brother, and like you know, we just had that bond. And I, his family, his kids, like we all know me and you know, but that, I think that's the key, right? I mean, I think that's the difference. Um, And I think a lot of that I learned from trial lawyers college and, you know, various places, it's just, it's, it's things you're not taught in law school at all. And it's things that we just, as trial lawyers, I think it's so important that we learn those stories because you can then flip any defense that comes up. Like my guy looks fine. Sure. He does look fine, but he's fighting through pain because, uh, you know, he has nerve damage on his side the rest of his life. And you flip that he's back to work and everything looks fine now on the defense because you find out you dig deep, you really get into their emotional state before and after. And I think uh, that, I mean, on that case, we got a $3 million verdict and he literally had five doctors visits and three broken ribs, but he just had nerve damage and they just, you know, we just got the jury to fall in love with him and pissed at the defense um, because of that. So yeah, I don't know a long winded answer, but uh, you know, I'm a big believer in it and really getting, you know, the client's story.
0: That's great. I mean, that's, you know, one of the things that we do each month is we, we highlight a client's story so that everybody here understands what people have been through by the time they wind up, you know, needing Synergy's help. And that helps reinforce the mission, having this empathy, which is one of our core corporate values. Um, and, and for each other, you know, as we Go through our days, but then also, you know, the clients that we serve. So to me, you know, exactly what you've said is is what's so important. You know, with what we do too, is recognizing people's stories and you know making sure that we we understand the the privilege we have to help them. You know, it's it's yeah. it's an important such an important thing. So no, it is. So, I mean, we yeah.
1: we really, yeah. I mean, we're we're their last resort, really.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, it's.
1: It's a huge responsibility, but, you know, I, it, as I know you guys do and and we do, we take it very, very seriously.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the, it's just tragic how many times you see cases that are settled for, you know, policy limits when the policy limits, you know, like the driver that hit me at $10,000 in coverage, you know, my medical bills were three hundred and eighty thousand plus you know i mean and that's that's not unusual you know to see that and it's just so hard to see when that's the case you know see what the end result is for for the client Um, but you know in the end at the end we have to do what we can to help people in those situations to maximize their recovery because every single penny becomes incredibly important when you know you've just got a small policy that's the only means of compensating somebody for what could be, you know, a really significant injury or could be, you know, could be a wrongful death situation. It's just unfortunate that that's the reality for, for some clients, but you know, the the idea that, you know, you guys go to battle and get that kind of result that is going to make sure that that person's taken care of is is exactly what it's all about.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's nothing harder, and and that's why it's so great what you guys do because there's nothing harder than you know telling a client who is seriously catastrophically injured, and you're just like, there's a fifty thousand dollar policy, and then you know the hospital or Medicare or Medi-Cal, they're just like they want to take all of it. and It's like they don't understand it. They're like, I've been paying into this, and now I'm gonna get zero. So basically, this whole case is just to get the lawyer and the and the medical provider money. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's not it's not it's not the way it should be at all. I mean, that's not fair. That's not justice. Um, yeah. you know, it's extremely hard to have those conversations with clients.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, um, we said that we would talk about, uh, LA trial lawyer charities, uh, TLC. What, what is it? Why are you involved with it?
1: Yeah, sure. So, uh, LA TLC is, uh, well, it's actually, I think it's spawned from in David balls damages three. He has a section in the appendix where he talks about, um how we want to change the perception of trial lawyers, but trial lawyers need to look in the mirror and think, well, why do jurors think we're greedy ambulance chasers? And he's like, you know, when you go to your website and look, we're all guilty of it, it just shows, you know, $10 million verdict, $5 million verdicts, just like the verdict, you can just put these dollar signs on, you know, catastrophic injury, ten million dollars, and there's a smiling attorney. It's like, well, you know, you really need to have what you should have on your website is pictures of you helping people, like in a genuine way, don't have it be a fake photo, like a photo shoot or a photo op, like, like show that you care, you actually care about the community, and you're out there fighting for clients, and that you really are a consumer advocate. Um, And so, you know, Bruce Trainey, who's one of our founders back in 2006, took that to heart, as did, you know, a handful of other prominent trial lawyers in Los Angeles. And, you know, they knew that, Travelers do have big hearts, and there's a huge misconception about us in the public, and a lot of that is because of a PR campaign done by the insurance industry, big corporations, you know, to to, to make us look like horrible, greedy ambulance chasers who make money off people's ailments and the horrors people have to go through. When we all know that the traveler, I mean, they care. I mean, some of the greatest people with the biggest hearts I've ever met is is the plaintiff's side, the plaintiff's bar. They really do care about people, um, and they put a lot of their own time and money on the table without asking really for anything in return, unless we get a verdict. And I think that's a that's admirable. We're taking a big risk. The insurance the insurance side is I mean their their attorneys are not taking any risk at all. And so you know I think it's important that we uh, so that you know they they started this charity to to give back to those in need in Los Angeles, whether it's uh, you know, kids, children with disabilities, children who don't, aren't as privileged and financially um, battered women, you know, the homeless. And so they just started raising money and it's a, it was set up initially as a pass through charity where we have our partner charities, a group of partner charities that we give a lot of money to, we raise money, give back. And it really started, I mean, we were giving away about, you know, 50,000 a year, 75 a year up until about 2014 when min win became president we really ramped up we got the plants attorneys really behind us in los angeles and to date we've given away almost five million dollars um to the community to those in need um it's just really a great organization and so i became involved about six years ago seven years ago uh because I just love what they did and i wanted to find an avenue where i can volunteer my time you know go, go to Go, to, go feed the homeless. Go paint houses. Um, various, you know, various opportunities. Did that and then started raising money. And so I was elected secretary five years ago. And there's a ladder and became president this year. And you know, last year was obviously very, very tough for everyone. Um, Alyssa Shabowski was our president. We were able to still, despite COVID, give away almost half a million dollars, which is unheard of for most charities. Really made a difference and. You know, so we're just going to take it on, you know, this year, our goals to to start there and then give away even more uh, to the community. Um, You know, we have various fundraisers throughout the year uh, that we do, and we also do a lot of uh, direct giving. So we do, uh, it's called the Power of the Shower. We, in Venice, California, we set up a whole, basically take down a whole city block and we... Bring in showers and doctors and clothes for the homeless in the area that can come in and just, have, just start a, a fresh start. Uh, we do a comfort and joy event around the holidays where we work with Newton Police Department. Again, shut down a whole city block and kids who would not get any toys for Christmas, for example, or any food or, or ham or turkey, we give away toys and we have a whole carnival atmosphere. Um, and travelers donate their time and money for that. So, so yeah, so look, we're with COVID hopefully ending soon. We're looking to really ramp up. Um, we've already raised this year alone, we've almost raised five hundred thousand dollars already, and we're only in March because people are just so eager to, you know, I think there's a lot of pent up. Uh, people do want to give back, they want to sponsor, they want to donate. Um, we're putting on our very big uh summer soiree. Hopefully, we're able to do it, but we're going to integrate. Uh, a big event party with all our all of our partner charities we're going to be involved with uh, a big gala that we're going to do in downtown los angeles on august 14th um, where we hope to raise you know almost eight hundred thousand dollars for that event alone so you know we got we got a lot going on uh, but i think the future is bright Um, one of my biggest things i want to expand uh the trial lawyers charities to other regions um, and we're about to launch Orange County Trial Lawyers Charities. Uh, Michelle West is heading that up down in Orange County, and there's a lot of fabulous trial lawyers who are ready to take over down there. And we want this to spread like wildfire. As soon as my presidency's done, I want to I'm going to spearhead the whole expansion effort. We want to go to the Bay Area next, and then who knows where? You know, I think we can take this national because I think there is such, uh, you know, there's a lot of trial lawyers out there. We've been reached out by people in Philadelphia, Atlanta, Florida, who want to give back to their community they just don't have the avenue to do it and so we are we have the playbook we've been through it. we've been doing it for 15 years It's our 15th anniversary and i think it's time to start expanding and really showing the world that trial lawyers are good people who give back and you know i think this really helps change the minds of and hearts of jurors and voters that we are good people when we come in a courtroom we're not the bad guy we are actually the good guy doing the good thing you know So, you know, really excited about it. You know, I love it. Los Angeles trial lawyers, charity, our websites, www.latlc.org. Take a look. It's really a really great organization.
0: Very proud of it. That's incredible organization. And it's a beautiful thing that you're doing personally to give back and uh, the organization, what they, I've seen what they're doing and it's really cool and would love to be involved in bringing that to Florida. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you guys so have been great
1: supporters of ours. I, it, Synergy has been great. I mean, I really appreciate you guys giving back, uh, helping out. Your money has been going to help a lot of people, so we appreciate it.
0: Well, there's definitely, you know, the that philosophy of giving back is something that um, I really emphasize with our team because it's it is it's it's something that is part of our corporate culture and is important to to me personally. And you know, thankfully, you know, everybody here embraces that. So. Thank, thank you for doing what you do because that, that really is, a, it makes a difference. It's, it's just one person at a time. And that's that's just what we need as a society is, is a little more of that.
1: More so now than ever, man. I mean, really, yeah. truly.
0: So um, a couple, couple more questions. Curious, you know, and this pertains to really more the business side of the practice of law. Being a younger attorney, seeing what's going on in, in technology, and, and maybe it's not limited to that, but are there things that you think are going to change the personal injury law practice forever? Maybe, maybe stuff that's come out of COVID, um, seems like, you know, there's a lot of things that are going to change as a result of both technology and what society has been through, you know, with COVID, but just curious if there are things that you think that are on the horizon.
1: Well, I think there's a few things. Um, one out of, you know, I think the things we're learning out of COVID is that, uh, you know, we can do a lot less traveling as much as I miss, you know, being in person with people and to go traveling to, to a, de- I, actually, I don't miss sitting in the 405 traffic uh, going down to Orange County. I don't yeah. miss that at all, taking a deposition. So take that back. But, you know, I mean, a lot more depositions are going to be done over Zoom, clearly. I think mediations, it's great. I mean, you can, it's so much easier for clients, especially when you have, a severely injured client who can't travel to an office, they can just be on Zoom and they can be not under the pressure of being in an uncomfortable office space, sitting around staring at each other, you know, you can do other things. So, so, so I think with all of that, like depositions and mediations is going to be, is going to be great. Um, you know, I do not want there to ever be Zoom jury trials. I think that would be a horrible thing and we're trying to is trying to fight against that. And Ocala and CAOC and so many organizations are fighting that hard, even though, you know, I know the judges have a lot of backlog and they have a lot to deal with, but I think that would be disastrous. I think jurors wouldn't pay attention. I don't think you can pick fair jurors. Uh, they'll be looking things up as you're on the screen. And I just don't think you have a captive audience. I don't think you're going to get good results either way if there's zoom jury trials. So I hope that doesn't come back. Um, you know in terms of you know what the, the 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 future of the profession you know there is a big huge concern in California right now and I think it's happening across the country is you know a big push for non uh, attorney ownership of law firms or paraprofessionals uh taking over or, or not taking over but being allowed to practice law and you know we are very concerned about that because I think Ultimately, what that will lead to is a denigration of the services of of the services that clients need. And you're going to have, it could be a big tech takeover, uh, like a Google law or Amazon law, where you know you're just you're having people who don't who didn't pass the bar and who didn't uh, who who didn't go through law school and who are not trained to be an attorney and advocate for a client be able to do this stuff and the clients initially think they're going to get a cheaper deal, but it's not. I mean, it's good. It's going to ultimately harm them. I mean, it'd be like saying it's okay for someone who didn't go to med school to do surgery. And I just, I just think, you know, it's, it's really ultimately going to, going to lower the practice of law. I think it's going to harm the practice of law. And I think we all need to be very cognizant of it and we need to watch out for it and make sure that the legislatures and all of our respective states protect You know, you need to have a license to practice law. And I think if you have um, non-lawyers owning law firms or being part of the ownership, which means ultimately they'll just take over the law firm. If you have these big corporations, it's going to be all about the bottom line, which look like I'm a businessman. I mean, I, I, you know, there's business with men and women. I mean, we are we're in a business of law. And of course, we, we want to make a profit and all that. But if it just becomes too corporate of a takeover, I think clients are going to be the one ones left in the dust. And I think that, uh, I'm concerned about that. I know many attorneys are concerned about that and we are fighting that in Sacramento right now. Um, so, you know, I think that that's, you know, could be where, where, where things are heading just from a, from a professional perspective. I mean, I can go on and on about it, but you know, um, yeah, I mean, generally I think that's where, that's where things are headed.
0: I'm curious, you know, you, you, you talked just briefly about the, the business aspect of of the practice of law what in your opinion is the most important thing for lawyers to understand about operating a law firm I mean you, you've got your own practice I'm sure you've you know with your previous partners what what to you is really the most important thing when you're when you're dealing with managing a law firm
1: well I mean if First off, you're starting out a law firm, keep it lean as long as you can, you know, don't, uh, don't, I mean, it, it goes with any business, but you know, in yeah, law, because you, yeah, but, but you are the commodity. So it's, it's different than, than, than other, other areas because you are the product, meaning that, you know, you have to be out there handling cases, bringing in cases, you're wearing all the hats, you know? So I think it's important. I think you should try to do your own books, understand your own finances initially. Um, which I did. I handled our own books, like literally every single invoice, everything that came in for the first six to nine months, I actually really enjoyed it, but I think it's important. It's super important that I did that. I know know, it's crazy, but, uh, my, I I, I think it's important that I did that. So now that when I obviously have a bookkeeper accountants that handle all that now, but, you got to make sure you're checking everything to make sure it's done right. And I can quickly analyze it and make sure because, as we're seeing right now with a, single, a, a very prominent attorney from Los Angeles who is probably going to go to jail, um, yeah. as he should. But, uh, you know, messing with the client's money, messing with the client trust account can get you in a lot of trouble, even if it's an quote, innocent mistake. But you know you gotta you gotta be super careful. Make sure that your 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 client trust account is managed the the way the law requires, um, because you never touch you never mess with the client's money ever ever ever. Um, but you can make an accounting mistake or money's not transferred in the right way. And so I think knowing that is important because you gotta comply with the laws. Um, watch your overhead. Uh, you know as long as you can, don't overhire too early. Um, also devote time to marketing. You got to. I mean, you could be the best attorney in the world, you could be the best, you know, order the best writer. But if you can't bring in the business, no one's gonna know it. So you got to you got to understand marketing. And there's ways to market, you know, without spending, you know, competing with these big marketing PI firms, for example. I mean, you could do a lot on social media. You go to a lot of speaking events. You join organizations. You know, you join organizations of other attorneys who don't practice in your area, so then they can know you as the PI attorney or the employment attorney, um, and refer you cases. So just, you, you know, don't, if you're starting your own business, don't expect just to be practicing law. Cause you got to set aside like 50% of your time somewhere in that range, at least initially to, to marketing, bringing in the business. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's, that's a few things. And then obviously once you have staff and all
0: that, it, it changes the whole game. Um, but yeah, great business advice. Uh, I think that a lot of what you said is applicable and no matter what you do. So thank you for sharing that. Is there one tip that you would give to other trial lawyers as part of your secret to success in, in your practice of personal injury law?
1: Yeah. I mean, don't back down from the fight. So when you're sitting in a deposition, you, maybe you're a younger attorney, and the defense attorney is objecting, 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 just stay focused on the goal. Just, just just, keep looking forward. Keep marching forward. Don't let them throw you off. You know, you, you sign up this case for a reason. You believe in this client for a reason. You've decided that, hey, I'm going to take this on, and I'm willing to fight this case all the way. So don't lose sight of that goal. No matter how much they are telling you your case is crap, your client is a liar, blah 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 blah. Just keep fighting, keep working, power through it. And I, I like I, I you have no no how many times are you no idea how many times I've been told I'm gonna get defense, my case is crap, and then all of a sudden I hit them with a seven figure verdict, or even a hundred thousand dollar verdict, or a twenty thousand dollar verdict. It 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 doesn't matter. It's the fact that you kept fighting and you kept fighting to to the end, all the way. Just don't back down because, look, I mean, we all think these great trial lawyers, Brian Panish, you know, Gary Dordick, all these, you know, uh, Keith Minnick, and these are great trial lawyers. You know, these are guys that I, I learn from, and many men and women, Lisa Blue, um, you know, so, so many great trial lawyers that I learned from. And But the thing is, look, it's not rocket science. Like, you can do it. Just prepare, 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 um, and everyone has a different style. You don't have to be you know, as charming and funny as Gary Dordick, you can still get great results. If you believe in your client, you prepare harder than the other side does, prepare harder than you ever have, um, and you can win. And I think that it's so easy for younger lawyers or any lawyers to get discouraged. It's intimidating. Trial's a scary thing. It's still scary. You know, I still get scared going in there. It's just, that you get the nerves, you get that pit in your stomach, your hands start sweating as soon as like the judge calls the case and swears in the first panel and you're like, oh man, I'm doing this, I'm doing this but you can do it like anyone can do it as long as you work hard, you believe in your client, you do it for the right reasons, you do it the right way. Um, don't let any, don't let the defense attorneys talk you off your game because that's all they're trying to do, but
0: you know, keep your head
1: down and focus. So that's what, uh, that's my long winded advice there.
0: All right. So last question and I'm going to come back to where you started, where you're talking about how synergy helps you. I'm curious, you know, if you've seen any trends of late, in dealing with issues that come up when you settle the case, we call it the, the case after the case, you know, whether it's liens or Medicare, or Medi-Cal, or, you know, the, the, the financial piece, you know, what, what is it that you find challenging and, you know, how, how is that impacting your practice?
1: Well, I, so <laughs> I can't stand, I, I like how you said that, the case after the case. I mean, that is like, you've worked so hard your client wants to agrees to the settlement. We, you know, everyone's happy, and then like, you're hit with Medicare. You can't get a hold of them. It's like 120 20 days. I mean, it's just, it is like there's nothing that it takes your the the wind out of your sails more than the kid like the having to deal with that stuff. I uh, I find it absolutely miserable, um, and it's frustrating, and I feel like, you know, the the insurance companies and, um, the medical providers are getting, I mean, they're getting less and less willing to budge. And so that's why I'm just very thankful for companies like yours that can handle all that because the cost, I mean, you guys save more for the client than, than, than what you guys cost. And it just really, I mean, we shouldn't be doing it. I'm not an expert in this area. Like, you know, trial lawyers are not experts in negotiating with, I mean, a few are that I know, but but most of us are not. I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of lean law, um, Medicare laws or regulations. I mean, I shouldn't. We it, you shouldn't spend your time. So another piece of advice, actually, which plays well for you guys is for for younger attorneys. Don't don't try to be that person. Don't try to be the lien negotiator. Um, it's gonna cost money, but at the end of the day, your client is going to be is going to actually pocket more if you outsource that. And so uh, I'm a big believer in that. I, it's not worth your staff time. It's not worth, certainly not worth your time to be spending, um, you know, negotiating these liens because we're not experts in it. Give it to the experts. Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't have yourself try to do a uh, TBI analysis. You know, you would you would outsource that to experts. You get the expert to tell you what it all means. So I you know I'm a big believer in it uh, I'm, you know, we obviously use you guys, have used you guys for the last year or so, and it's really worked out well. Um, really you
0: guys have saved a lot our clients, a lot of money. That's great. I think you can analogize it to, you know, as a lawyer, you, you could set up a guardianship, you could probate an estate, but there are lawyers that specialize in that. And, you know, there's, there's area of expertise in what we do. That's, pretty, you know, it's it gets into the weeds with ERISA law or Medicare or Medi-Cal, uh, you know, hospital billing practices. And, you know, I mean, it's it it's not simple stuff. So to expect a trial lawyer who's really should be focusing on representing their clients and getting recoveries for the next client instead of trying to tackle all these these difficult issues that that present themselves once that case is settled so it it is a it's an area that i don't think is is getting any less complex so it's going to continue to to plague firms and i think you know the the lawyers that are understanding how complex this is and what kind of exposure it is particularly when you've got like the department of justice going after law firms that are not handling conditional payments correctly or Medicare Advantage plans suing law firms for double the lien amount under the double damages provision of the Secondary Payer Act. I mean, you know, it, it presents exposure to the law firm. Not to mention, you know, ultimately getting the best result for your client is is so important. So,
1: yeah. See, I have no idea what 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 you just said, but this is exactly <laughs> the reason why I need to. what We outsource this stuff. You know.
0: Yeah. Well. That that's that's a that's a good stopping point, good way to end this. So Dan, I, I really really appreciate it you you coming on. If if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to reach you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you go to our, our website www.kramerlaw.com, um, or you feel free to email me at d kramer at That's K-R-A-M-E-R. Um I am always happy. Anytime you need to, email me. I'll get you samples, transcripts, PowerPoints, anything you need. I'm always happy to help out. And you can also call us at 310-551-0600. Um, and we're Kramer Trial Law on Facebook and Instagram, Twitter. So I uh, really appreciate it, Jason. This has been great. Thanks a lot. This has uh, been a lot of fun.
0: Well, we'll share all of your links and contact information in the show notes when we get it up. Uh, and uh, thanks to all the listeners for tuning in to this episode of Trial Lawyer Review. Thanks for tuning in to Trial Lawyer Review. You can find more at Review.com and look for more episodes and more content coming in the future.